In the section of scripture we're going to cover this morning, Philemon 8 uh, through 18, really the theme of Philemon is restoration of, of a relationship. The restoration of a slave owner with an estranged or a runaway slave who was, who was returning. And, and I don't want us to, to miss what I think is the emphasis of number one of all of scripture is, is it's all done to the glory of God. Uh, because oftentimes when we think of reconciliation and forgiveness, one might give accolades to the one who is granting forgiveness. Haven't we said things like, oh, you're so forgiving. And while that may be true, the reason why we are so forgiving is because we have been forgiven much. And the reason why we have been forgiven much is solely by the grace of God. So that there can be, should be, no glorying in oneself. It's glorying in what God is doing through the heart that is receptive, that has the power to forgive. So this morning, before we start the sermon, I thought it might be good for you to hear a testimony of God's reconciliation power, of God's forgiving power in a couple. So I asked Bob Schaefer to come up and share with us just for a few moments this morning. Come on up, Bob. Thank you, brother. Oh, my, there's a lot of you out there. <laughs> First thing I want to say is on June 16th, Sally and I celebrated 59 years of marriage. Thank you. Thank you. And we've shared many times, not just on that 59th anniversary, but many times for quite a few years, how fortunate we are to have the blessing of Jesus Christ in our marriage. We can't, it's hard to believe that we love each other like we do now. And the joy we have of being together as husband and wife now. And it's because Jesus is number one in my life number one in Sally's life, and he's number one in our marriage. But I want to tell you, we have a restored marriage. I'll just try to go through this very quickly. In the early days, first 10 years for a marriage, I could never understand how people who were married, 20, this microphone's shaking, do you see that? <laughs> how people were married 20 to 25 years are getting divorced. What is with that? We were married 25 years. Uh, it was during the 25th year. We were laying in bed one night. Sally said to me, seriously, Bob, I do not love you anymore. It shocked me. I didn't know what to say. A week later in one of our bedrooms, I find, found a one-year lease for an apartment signed by Sally. When I found that, Without a doubt, that was the darkest moment I've ever experienced in my life. I fell down on the bed. I got on my knees. And I said, God, what can I do to get my wife back? What can I do? What do I have to do? It wasn't a matter of what did I do. is what I have to do to get her back. And I just prayed. Um, very emotional. Um, and I just was thinking about the scriptures that I knew. We had recently studied the book of Ephesians, the chat, the book of Ephesians. And 
especially in chapter uh, 5, he talks about the marriage relationship. And verse 25 has become my verse for a long time. It's your verse too, men. It says, uh, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And as I prayed to the Lord, what can I do? Those, those words permeated my mind. And I just said, I have to love her like Christ loved me. Extended grace to me, obviously. When I finally got over myself thinking I wasn't a sinner, he extended his grace and he loved me. And I was, I was really, uh, overwrought, uh, the woman of my dreams, um, someone I really wanted. And he left me have. As teenagers, we got married when we were teenagers, and now I'm going to lose her. So I just focused on loving her like he loved me. The first thing I did, I helped her to move into her apartment. Believe it or not, that's what I did. And we separated, and we, I communicated. We communicated together as much as we can, talking about what was going on, why this has happened, what can she do, what can I do, and how can we honor the Lord? And three months into that, uh, into her time at the apartment, she came back. We, we moved her back into the house. But that wasn't the end of our reuniting. It went on for years. It goes on. I think all the time in a marriage, we have to be considering what does God want in this situation? How can we honor him? If we really want to love one another, we have to do that honoring God. And we learned that. We worked on that. And it took years till, I think, well, I don't know how long exactly it took you to say I love you again. And uh, just imagine if you and your all the things that go on in life, how many things happen in our lives that if we were writing the story, we certainly wouldn't put those things in the story. Family problems, your own problems with each other, irritations, whatever it may be. But... If you and your, if me and my wife are together in seeking to honor the Lord Jesus Christ through our marriage, we can help each other to try to find out what is God doing here? And we don't have to do it alone. So I just want to say that the most important thing God wants us to do is to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know what? That involves paying attention. And I want to say to all married men, he wants, as you, oh no, the other thing I want to say is the next thing he wants us to do is tell people what Jesus has done in our lives. We worry about witnessing. Just tell people what Jesus has done in your life. And uh, for men, for married men, my encouragement is, as you tell people what Jesus has done in your life, Make sure that they can see Jesus in the way you treat your wife and you love your wife. And I want you to know, um, I love my wife ineffably. If you don't know what that means, that's your assignment for today. Go home and look up that word. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Seeking forgiveness for the glory of God. C.S. Lewis says these words about forgiveness. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. 
Sounds good on a Hallmark card or in a movie. But to actually grant forgiveness to one who has wronged you is incredibly difficult. In this story, we will see Paul instructing Philemon to do a few things. At the heart of this is the restoration of fellowship to the glory of God. I would suggest to you that we are probably most like God when we love and we forgive another. We are most like God when we love and forgive one another. Let's read God's word together in Philemon 8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful to both you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but out of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is the word of the Lord. Book of Philemon is unique in many ways, especially for those of us who understand the ministry and writing of the Apostle Paul in his other prison epistles, this being one of them. We find this epistle being the shortest. It's really the least doctrinal letter that we see from the Apostle Paul. Uh, We don't see as many run-on sentences in this letter as we do as we say in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is incredibly personal in this letter. Paul seeks to appeal to Philemon's heart in regards to his interaction and his action as he deals with Onesimus. And although we don't see the word forgiveness in this letter, it is clearly implied but not just forgiveness, reconciliation. That almost sounds fanciful in our world today, doesn't it? It almost sounds impossible in our world today because after all, the world will say, I forgive you, but I'm going to keep you at a distance. Restoration can't take place. And I'd love to tell you that we only see that out there, i.e. the world. Unfortunately, far too often we see it in churches. Fortunately, all too often we see it in marriages where one party refuses to grant forgiveness to another. 
believe the principles that we see here are foundational for what it means to be a Christian. If I can remind you, Jesus says in Matthew 6, if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. It's fundamental to being a believer that we grant and receive forgiveness. Failing to forgive others hinders our fellowship, obviously with that other person, but also with our God. Brothers and sisters, I pray that that is a two too high of a price for you to think about that my fellowship with God the Father has been broken because I fail to forgive. Believers are called fundamentally to manifest a spirit that is completely in line with fellowship, communion, and love for other brothers and sisters. To display the opposite of that is contrary to the gospel. Isn't that what Matthew 18 tells us in that short parable of the man who owns He owes a tremendous amount to the king. And the king says, I need to settle my affairs. Pay up. I can't do it. And the king extends great mercy to this man. But in turn, the man is owed a very small, meager amount, right? But he fails to forgive. It's inconsistent in the Christian life to be a person who is not forgiving. Seeking, uh, not forgiving others is, in a sense, seeking our own revenge. We're told that vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. That I want to repay if I am not granting forgiveness. I want you to feel the weight of that. As opposed to leaving God in control of how he is going to deal with that individual. Failing to forgive others is completely inconsistent for what it means to be a Christian. Bible tells us that it makes us unfit for worship if we are having or displaying an unforgiving heart. Matthew 5, if therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, what does he say? Leave the offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Where are you at this morning, believer, as you come into this room? Do you have aught against another? Are you harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards another? Jesus seems to suggest here that if that's the case, we need to clean it up before we offer our hearts to the Lord. And don't we live in a world where there is so much trauma in relationships, so much trauma in the way we treat one another? And for what I'm saying, for some of you, you are probably saying, as I would say, as I sat in pews before, you don't know what I am facing. You don't know what they have done to me, pastor. Because if you knew, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. God knows. And God commands us to be a forgiving people, seeking reconciliation. I would suggest to you, if I can take it a little step further, if I can pull the string out a little bit further without you walking out on me. Forgiveness is to be sought whether they want it or not. Forgiveness isn't about them, it's about you. You pray for reconciliation. You grant forgiveness whether reconciliation comes or not. 
It's a hard place to be, isn't it? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen would echo those same words, wouldn't he? As he's being stoned, Father, forgive them. Now, I want to say this quickly. This taint easy. This isn't easy. If it was easy, we'd need, we wouldn't need the spirit of the living God, right? This is very hard stuff because the pain is real. Well, let me ask you this. What is the basis for our forgiveness? Let's look at a few passages before we dive into Philemon. Go with me. Don't have the PowerPoint, so you got to do some legwork today. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 32. Ephesians 4, 32. Either turn to it in your Bibles or if you have a phone, I'm okay with you pulling that out and using that. Ephesians 4, 32. What is the basis? What is the context for our forgiveness? What does Jesus say? Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. How did God forgive you, brother or sister, this morning? What was that forgiveness like? Was it complete? Did he forgive you of all? He did. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you, we are to forgive one another. One more passage, Colossians 3.13. Just the next book up. Colossians 3.13. Verse 12, for a little more context. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Forgiveness. Forgiveness the way God has forgiven us. As we approach this section of Philemon, Pastor Jared reminded us as he preached through this section weeks ago of the characteristics of one who was going to be forgiven. And Paul says some pretty glowing things about Philemon. He mentions that he is a dear brother. He is a beloved brother there in first verse 1. He is a fellow worker. He is, has a clear understanding of that Philemon is one who is, is loving and faithful, we see in Verse 5, love verse 7. Verse 7 tells us that Philemon loved the fellowship of the saints. And as a matter of fact, the saints were refreshed in their relationship with Philemon. Paul isn't giving platitudes. Paul isn't trying to stroke his ego. Paul is telling him something that is real. Paul has met Philemon before, we believe, and we know that Philemon has a house church. So we can surmise a few things about Philemon. Probably is wealthy. We know that he had a slave. We know that, again, he actually met the Apostle Paul, we believe, in Ephesus. Paul now is writing this letter from prison, a personal letter to him regarding this situation with Onesimus. He wants him to do some things. 
And one of the first things that we ought note, if we're going to try to gain an understanding of what it truly means to forgive, we've got to talk to people who are maybe a little more mature than us, people who have walked in forgiveness, people who understand what forgiveness is about. Maybe your marriage this morning is struggling. I promise you, Bob and Sally would love to sow into your life about how this can actually take place. There's no need to struggle if you've got people that you can lean on that will give you information. But I want you to notice, Paul doesn't order this. Look at what he says. I have enough confidence in Christ to order to do what is proper. By the way, that gives us some understanding of the relationship that a parishioner had with his shepherd in those days, that Paul understands that I could exercise some authority over you and make you do this. But I'm not going to do that. And it seems as if Paul has the understanding that Philemon might actually even listen. Did you hear that? A church leader said something and the parishioner did it. Dave, did you hear that? Bill, did you hear that back there? Can you, isn't that amazing? There's an expectation that he might actually do it. But yet for love's sake, I appeal to you. Paul throws this in. I'm an old man. He says, I'm aged and I'm also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, who I've begotten in my imprisonment. So what's the story? At some juncture, some relationship breakdown had happened, and Onesimus said, I'm out of here. Chuck up the deuce. I am out of here. I'm leaving on the midnight train, wherever this city is, probably not Georgia. I'm out of here. But also at some point, what happens to Onesimus? Providentially, he meets the apostle Paul and what happens to Onesimus' heart? He gets saved. His heart is changed. And he has an understanding of who he is in Christ and what Christ would have him do. He has become a child of Paul. While Paul is in prison, he is ministering to the needs of Paul. He was useless to you at one point, but he's useful to both You and me, we see in verse 11. And I'm sending him back to you in person. I'm sending my very heart. Look at that language. Paul loves Onesimus, but he also wants Onesimus to do what is right. He wants him to go back and correct the errors that he has made. To seek reconciliation with his master, with his owner. Paul's very honest here. I wish to keep him with me. I'd love for him to minister to my needs. Remember, these kinds of prisons, uh, there was no welfare state. There was no three hots in a cot kind of idea. Family and friends would need to take care of that person. Again, Paul's an older man. Paul needs someone to care for him. He is very beneficial to me. But because I understand the dynamic between Philemon and Onesimus, Onesimus, you need to go back and get this taken care of. So a couple things that we just note. Number one, Onesimus is a son of Paul. Number two, Onesimus is useful. Number three, that we might miss, Onesimus is repentant and obedient. How do we know that? Picture this. Where is Paul? He's in prison. So he writes this letter. He sends it by Philemon's hand and go back to your master. Some say up to 900 miles. Go back to your master. Now, how do we know he's repentant and he's obedient? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Onesimus, Paul's in prison, 
I got the letter in my hand. I got to go 900 miles. Hmm. I'm not sure I want to do this. But his heart is being driven, obviously, by the Lord to actually go and do what the Apostle Paul has instructed him to do. I am going to go back and think about this. Can you picture him walking in? If he's, if he's knocked on the door, can you? He, he, he probably doesn't walk in with his chest stuck out. He probably walks in with the letter in his hand, very slowly, very quietly. This is from Brother Paul. Before we talk, can you please, can you please read this? Can you picture the emotions of Philemon? As he gets this letter, now I picture me. I know you're not like me. I would have snatched it out of his hand. Amen. Prayerfully, my heart would have softened as I was reading it. Paul anticipates that there is going to be a response that could be negative or he wouldn't have sent the letter. Onesimus is a son. He's useful. He's repentant and obedient, but he's also a servant, we read. He has served me and he could serve you. He is going to be beneficial to you as he was beneficial to me. But Paul doesn't stop there, does he? He says, for perhaps he was for this reason separated for a while. I want you to receive him back of your own free will. He's been separated from you, but he has come back to you now as a redeemed believer. His heart has changed. He is prayerfully walking in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He is doing all things to the glory of God, including his service to you. And because he is doing it that way, he is going to be useful to you. It's advantageous that you take him back. And Paul will say later what? Not as a servant, but as a, as a brother. Now, I want to add this in quickly because I think it's important, especially given the current culture that that we hear about slavery and things of the Bible support slavery and things like biblical slavery is not American slavery. I'm going to say that again. Biblical slavery is not American slavery. They're not the same things. This is more like indentured servanthood. It's not American slavery. So I'm not saying that when we hear slavery here that we should be endorsing it the same way we see it because it has been the passages like this have been twisted by slave owners to say, look at what the Bible says. Slave is you run away and you were kidnapped from your land. That is not the same thing. This is not endorsing the American idea of slavery. I I apologize. It was more European. It wasn't original to America. The Western idea of slavery. But don't receive him back as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Well, why does Paul want him to be received back as a beloved brother? For the sake of the fellowship, for the glory of God. He should seek a mature, growing Christian whose heart is bent on serving the risen king will seek loving restoration with his brother or sister. And it begins with forgiveness. Pink says these words, after grief for sin, there should be joy for forgiveness. Do you find it joyous to be forgiven? Here, Who in this room does not find it joyous to be forgiven? None of us, not who are believers. Now let me ask you this question. Do you find it joyous to give or grant forgiveness? And there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. 
We ought find it. Why? Because what's the end goal? To glorify God. And as I forgive and there's reconciliation, God is glorified. Because here's what the world says. I don't understand. How could you forgive the one who abused you that way? How could you forgive one who did this to you? How could you do that? Let me tell you about a man from Galilee and what he has done in my life and the change that has happened in my heart. And me in and of myself, I would not have the ability to forgive. Me in and of myself really doesn't want to forgive. But the spirit has so captured my heart, I have understood what I have been saved from and saved to. And now I can extend that forgiveness to others. I've confessed up here, uh, whether it was wise or not, I don't know. Um, I really do see the Bethel family as just that. I share things with you that I share with my family. I share them publicly. Uh, weeks ago, as a few times I have talked about the abuse that my daughter faced from her boyfriend. Uh, someone approached me on that and challenged me to do something. And as I sat in my office and listened to her, I was on the in- outside, I was doing this. But on the inside, I was doing this. I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, weeks had passed and an incident happened. And normally I don't get involved. You see where this is going. It was happening on the phone. My bride was on the phone listening to the situation. I was on the, let me set this up so you can have some sympathy for me. It was hot. I was on the grill and there was a bunch of grandkids around. See, that's the reason, right? (laughs) Plus I'm a sinner. (laughs) And I'm also a sinner. I had had enough. I snatched the phone out of her hand and I say some things that I am not proud of. I made some promises that I am not proud of. I lost it. I got angry. The phone was hung up for about 30 seconds and the weight of my sin fell on me heavy. I call back. Will you forgive me, brother, for what I just said? He says, basically, I'm surprised it took you this long to say what you said. I'm I'm surprised, he says, I know that was not you. You've just had enough. I was able to sow into his life. And the things that he said to me had me boohooing and crying. Our relationship is great. We say we love each other. We talk to each other. So God turned it around like that. I'd love to tell you he came to the Lord. Wouldn't that be a wonderful crescendo to this? He hasn't yet. But he's open to hearing the gospel. Don't tell me restoration and forgiveness is not possible. But don't be a fool like your pastor and wait four years to try to make a dialogue happen. We don't know for sure how long Philemon and Onesimus' relationship has been estranged. But we do know that Paul seeks the restoration that only can come from forgiveness. It is incredibly important that we understand that in order to 
grant forgiveness to someone, we've got to enter into a relationship that is honest and true. What do I mean by that? Who do you have an offense with today? Are there people in your life that you have an offense against or that they have an offense against you? What is the truth of God's word? What does God's word say about the reconciliation that should be happening? What does he say do? Be restored. Dialogue. Dialogue about it. Go through it together. We've got to talk about it. Paul doesn't say, go back Philemon and don't act like anything has happened. Onesimus, deal with it. We've got to deal with the sins and the offenses that take place oftentimes in the Christian relationship. We've got to be honest about how we feel about those things in the relationship. We've got to grant forgiveness as we deal with it. Now, now here's here's the difficult part. What if the person doesn't recognize that they've done the offense? Can there be true reconciliation? Now, that's much debated. I would suggest to you that the person doesn't recognize their offense. It is very difficult for there to be true reconciliation. Doesn't mean that you need to harbor unforgiveness. They need to come to an understanding or maybe you need to come into an understanding of what was the offense? How did I hurt you? How did I damage you in the relationship? As we come to that common understanding, now prayerfully, now prayerfully, we can ask and forgiveness be granted. And restoration can take place, but it takes a first step. Is it going to be you? Are you going to make that step for a beloved brother? He refers to him in verse 16, no longer a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? Now, how did I set this up? Had Philemon been very good to other Christians who he interacted with? We see that in the first seven verses. So if Philemon can see Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a brother, what's he going to do? He's going to treat Onesimus the way he has treated other Christians. He is going to be refreshed. As a brother, he is going to see him as a fellow laborer in the Lord. Onesimus and I are now brothers. Yes, we still have this relationship that he is responsible for the things that he has done. By the way, look at what it says here. It's rather interesting. Verse 17, if you then regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. If I'm a partner in the gospel with you, Philemon, receive Onesimus the same way. Paul doesn't stop there. There's a level of restitution, isn't there? Verse 18, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What does that mean? What happened? Well, if he was a slave, maybe Philemon had to go out and hire someone else. Um, There's some suggestion that maybe Onesimus stole something. Well, he stole his time for sure. And Paul is saying that there needs to be restitution. And if he has done anything, charge it to my account. And sometimes in the nature of relationship, there should be restitution. Maybe not always financial. There should be some level of contrition, some level of brokenness. And I often wonder, brothers and sisters, do we actually feel the weight of the sin that we perpetrated against others? Do we feel how we've wronged them? Do we feel how we've hurt them? Or do we even care? 
Oftentimes, I think many believers just don't care. I know I've hurt them. I know I've said something out of turn. I know I've done something that has been incredibly offensive. It's just the way I am. Things get said. Uh, Husbands, wives, you know anything about that? Ever say something, guys, to your brides that you're not proud of? See, I was very fortunate my wife wasn't up here next to me because my my ribs would have been hurting. What do I mean? You guys know. (laughs) Listen to Bob. Love your wife. Listen to you. Listening to him. Is that sermon being recorded? Do we really care that we've offended another brother? And again, what's the goal? To glorify God in our relationship, in the reconciliation between one another. They will seek loving restoration with their brothers and sisters. First point I made, you're going to listen to those. If you're truly seeking to bring honor to God, you're going to seek those who have more experience in dealing with areas of forgiveness. And I stated, I I don't believe this is easy. This is very hard. So as I close out here, here's what I'd like you to do. Who's that one? As you sit here today, who's the one, who's those persons possibly that you have issue with? I'm not naive, brothers and sisters. Maybe it's a dad, maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a parent. Parent, maybe it's a child. As you sit here and listen to this message, who are those people that are popping into your mind that you know that you're estranged from, that you know that there's issue with? What would God want you to do with that this morning? Would there be time this afternoon for a phone call as you're driving away from this place? Would there be time to pop by someone's house and say, can I talk to you for a moment? Would you make the time? Would you be obedient to the spirit of the living God? I would suggest to you out of obedience to the text and also love for that other brother or sister to seek restoration in the relationship. See, I know for some, Maybe you just need to take a quick walk because you're the person that you're estranged from you're sitting right next to. And you need to get it taken care of. By the grace of God, for the glory of God, by the power of God, would you be brave enough to go there today? Would you be brave enough to be like Onesimus I'm going to do what the Lord would want me to do for his glory. I pray that you would. I pray that you will. Forgiveness for the glory of God. Baptist preachers get to close three times, so I'm going to close now. It's number two, by the way. We've had people walk away from our church, right? Some silently, some not so silently. Be a great opportunity for us to bash the not so silent ones for 
all the things that they did wrong, all the things that we feel they've said, be a great opportunity for that, right? Maybe a better opportunity is to go to them and say, I forgive you. I love you. God hasn't called you to this place. Maybe he's called you elsewhere. Wherever you go, are you going to bring glory to his name? Part of the reason when Scott suggested this in a leadership meeting some months ago was twofold, to be quite honest. Number one, we don't get to see each other with the two services as often as we'd like. So this was an opportunity to do that, to worship together as one body, no first or second service, just one service. That, that was part of it. But the second part is not as practical. It's could we come together? And if there are offenses that have happened in our body over the last year or years, let's let this series of messages from Philemon prayerfully bring us to a place of repentance of forgiveness and restoration. Let's not just say we had great food or Elijah sang so great. That's great. But is there restoration? Are there things that need to be said as we dialogue, as we interact? And prayerfully, brothers and sisters, God will be glorified and honored. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've allowed us to enter into a relationship with you because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in forgiving us of our sin debt. Father, we are very, very thankful that the debt was paid completely. Um, Father, we thank you that we have been reconciled back to you. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God because of the work that Jesus has done in forgiving us. And The clarion call in scripture is for believers to forgive other believers, to enjoy, I pray, a relationship with other believers where there have been difficulties for the glory of your name. Father, these things aren't easy. They're very, very difficult. You didn't leave us alone. John 15 says, apart from you, we can do, apart from the spirit, we can do nothing. but we can all all be obedient to the Spirit, utilizing the power of the Spirit to do what you've commanded us to do. Forgive, seek reconciliation. Would we not leave this place? Would we not leave this place without a determined mindset to seek reconciliation with another brother, another sister for your glory in Jesus name amen let's stand together and close in song